Hi, it's Nick Brown, Editor-in-Chief of Archives of Disease in Childhood, here, as always, with Rachel Agbeko, our Senior Editor. Hi, Rachel. How has your week been? Hi, Nick. All good. Thanks very much. Good to be back. Exactly. Um, it's, it sure is. Well, we've got an interesting issue and there are some definite themes coming into this uh, month's Atoms. Do you want to start exploring what's, um, what's in the issue? On the face of it, it looks like a lot of oncology, which is quite right, given that it's uh, such an important uh, disease in, uh, in childhood. But when I was, I was reading the, the four papers that were part of Atoms, I, I also thought about, is there, is there a question um, coming up? And, and, and I thought it was, what, what are we looking for? Um, and, and so maybe we can see how these four papers that we'll be discussing, Nick, uh, answer that. That's a really nice angle. Um, so as you say, can- cancer is a leading cause of death for children globally. We know that outcomes in the UK uh, lag behind those in other comparable European countries. There are likely to be several reasons. Um, one, that um, a diagnosis is made later in the UK than elsewhere in Europe. On the whole, early diagnosis of cancer is a good thing in terms of ultimate prognosis. But do we actually know what we're looking for? So let's move to the first paper, Public Awareness of Childhood, Teenagers and Adults, uh, CTYA Cancer Signs and Symptoms in Great Britain, a cross-sectional survey by uh, Joe Fenn-Louis and colleagues at the University of Nottingham and the Children's Cancer and Leukaemia Group in Leicester. They posed this question to a group of a thousand adults, about a quarter of which share a household with children in the age group 6 to 15, a group of people with a vested interest to know about childhood cancer. The thousand respondents to this uh, face-to-face survey come from across the country, um, so the UK, across a range of ages and social economic backgrounds. And there is some information about diversity and ethnicity, although the latter is less clear. And these things are important um, because what the authors have noted, for instance, is that there's differences across the social strata in what people perceive to be signs of cancer. When would they seek medical advice or where where do they get their information uh, from? Maybe unsurprisingly, the survey revealed that people will recognise lumps or bleeding and weight loss as potential cancer signals, but they were unsurprisingly less able to tell signals such as delayed development, delayed growth or delayed healing. So these are maybe more subtle things that could um, point to a cancer diagnosis. Unsurprisingly, two-thirds of the group wasn't confident in identifying symptoms and a minority of people could actually appropriately identify these symptoms. That's something that we need to get uh, get our heads around, uh, Nick. So w- what do we do with this information? I suppose what it tells us is that there's still some way to go to raise the level of awareness to that which we would like. Um, in terms of the levels uh, uh, of surveillance, awareness, that will really make a big difference in terms of time to diagnosis. I suppose there's a risk that increasing awareness for childhood cancer may lead to 
overrunning of healthcare services. Cancer, which, although has far-reaching consequences, is still an uncommon occurrence. Any awareness campaign will need to take into consideration the unintended consequences of increasing awareness and healthcare use. It's also important that communication strategies take into account the different information-seeking behaviours and knowledge backgrounds in case there's a widening of disparities. On the whole, though, we should be able to tackle these issues and conduct a campaign that may influence earlier diagnosis and therefore better outcomes. So in a similar vein, the question on awareness was addressed in the next paper, which we'll be discussing now. This time, the awareness was targeted to healthcare staff rather than families, parents, household members. Suicide sadly remains a leading cause of death in children and young people worldwide, the fourth cause of death in this age group, and suicide attempts are rising. Worryingly, in the 10 to 14 year age group, deaths due to suicide are higher than due to car accidents even. So where might we be able to identify suicide risk? We should. But what are we looking for in the emergency department? The paper Risk of Suicide in Children and Adolescents in the Emergency Department is Universal Screening the Answer by Dr. Finza Latif and colleagues at Cedra Medicine and Research Centre in Doha, Qatar, tries to answer that question. So the background is that children and young people at risk may not present to the ED with suicidal behavioural concerns, but physical concerns only. And some of them will nonetheless be at risk of suicide. So how do you pick them out? So researchers reviewed the literature on validated tools for screening for suicide risk and compared universal tools so that every child gets screened versus selective screening. So only the children at inverted commas weren't screening because of behavioural complaints. Start with what the authors did. So they started with just about 300 papers uh, on the uh, question of um, screening for suicide risk uh, in ED, and then they whittled down that to eight. Of those eight papers, six were focused on universal screening and two on targeted screening. I should just allude to Nick that uh, every child that comes in gets a screening or only um, when uh, there are behavioural concerns. They were all in US or United States of America emergency departments, so that may limit the generalizability, but I think it's a good start. We see that the universal screen yielded 2 to 8% children at risk for suicide, and the targeted uh, screen was higher, as one would ex- expect, 30 to 70% of children at risk. Both numbers would then identify a large um, cohort of children that is at risk for for suicide, uh, which is concerning. There were some tips they put in, as in sort of if the questionnaires were self-administered, they were filled in better, uh, um, uh, which may not be surprising, as it might be a bit daunting to be asked about suicide risk. In terms of practicalities, the stay in uh, the emergency department wasn't prolonged using the tool, and most were discharged home. Now, these two last issues were a bit concerning to me because we are identifying children who might be at risk for suicide, and then we let them go home. 
what do you then have in place to follow these these children up? So if we're looking for risk of suicide, um, uh, it seems appropriate to use universal tools. Uh, however, then what? You know, how, how, what do we then put in place that addresses this risk? Because otherwise, why did we look in the first place? We're pivoting a bit. We're staying in the emergency department and going back to cancer. And the question, what are we looking for, is relevant to this paper as, as well. So uh, what the authors were looking for uh, in this paper uh, uh, focuses on urinary tract infections in children with febrile neutropenia. So in the paper, role of urine cultures in paediatric cancer patients with fever and neutropenia, a prospective observational study by Dr. Jose Antonio Alonso Cadenzas and colleagues at the Nino Jesus University Children's Hospital in Madrid and Valdebron University Hospital in Barcelona, Catalonia, uh, on behalf of the Spanish Paediatric Emergency uh, Research Group. The authors revisit urinary tract infections as the etiology of febrile neutropenia in a cohort of approximately 200 children presenting to the ED department. Based on the evidence provided uh, in the paper, we can be more selective in looking for UTIs in children with febrile neutropenia. So there's this tradition of uh, sending, sending urine for culture, but the yield is actually very low. So in contrast with a study we just discussed, we might be more selective rather than go for universal screening. So only 1% of their group actually had a, a proven UTI. The authors suggest to maybe focus on those who've actually got symptoms suggestive of a UTI or with a history uh, or anatomy that suggests uh, an increased susceptibility. We might even, this might be pushing it, but we might do away with urine cultures for a large number of children. I wonder, though, whether we're bold enough to do this at this stage. Finally, and still on the cancer theme, we discussed the paper Tunneled External Versus Implanted Port Central Venous Catheters in Paediatric Oncology, a systematic review and meta-analysis by Nigel Hall and colleagues at the University of Southampton's Paediatric Surgery Unit, UK, and the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland, in Dublin. So the authors looked for complications associated with tunneled external and implanted lines in children with malignancies. Complications included infection, mechanical failure, thrombosis, bleeding, acceptability, quality of life, cost, premature removal, and days from insertion to removal. Problems that were all most of us are familiar with. They conducted a systematic review and meta-analysis, including 23 papers with nearly 7,000 central venous catheters placed into just over 6,000 children. So I think they've done uh, extraordinarily good work here. A large number of lines, uh, so that would be uh, central venous lines, uh, both inside and outside, uh, to be seen on the child, so portacasts implanted, um, and then maybe Hickman's, uh, those types of uh, lines outside. I think the main message here is that the major complications were reduced in implanted central venous lines. So these include the risk of infections and uh, mechanical complications. There was also a reduced rate of removal due to complications of, of any kind. So those are key issues um, in children being treated uh, with cancer.
And you could ask yourself, you know, how does this stock up against the other considerations? Maybe caregiver choice, surgeon's preference, concerns about repeated skin punctures. Probably we're not going to have any better evidence anytime soon, uh, given that we're not going to be able to do a randomised control trial um, uh, in, a, in a short space of uh, time, if even if we're going to be able to do one. So for me, it seems quite clear which device to choose. And thank you, Nigel et al. Yes, ab absolutely. So this is the best we've got, the best we're likely to get. And I guess it's up to people to make their own minds up. But um, the conclusion here is pretty unequivocal. Thanks so much, Rachel, helping me choose those papers, find the theme. Um, I've really enjoyed it. There's, of course, much more in this issue, which you can find all on the site, adc.bmj.com. Um, and of course, listen to the podcasts on the usual vehicles, on the usual platforms, including Apple and Spotify. Thanks so much for today's talk, Rachel. And uh, goodbye from me and see you next time. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks, Nick. Bye from me.